0: Finishing up Hebrews. Actually, meant after I finished my slides this morning, I meant to look up and see when I started Hebrews. Um, it was long enough ago that I don't remember. It's been a long journey through Hebrews, um, but I uh, I really have appreciated um, the length, even the length of time, because I've been able to go through a lot of what I'd like to. But one thing that I have learned uh, going through a book like Hebrews um, is that I, you know, I think people say it a lot, but I haven't scratched the surface. I I look through and I, 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 even this this week as I've been going through verses 20 through 25, the temptation arose to split it up into two. And because there's just so much here. And then I'm like, no, (laughs) these poor people, they need to move on to something else. And, um, but I mean, it, it really is a wonderful book, so I'll probably make a couple of allusions to things you ought to read, so if you get the chance uh, to read those things, do that. I won't go into those things today. Um, but if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to ask me afterwards. Um, a quick note before we begin, I, the verses that I have on the screen today are from the ESV. I'm not going to go into why I did that, but I did it for a reason, so if you have a question about it, we can talk later but again, I feel like it just stretches things out if we go through the whole reasons of why, okay? So, um, I wanted to make this as concise as possible in the beginning slide. God will make you complete through Jesus. What does that mean? Um, And then I included um, another benediction. Uh, If you're you're looking at an ESV or a NIV, then the little subtitle over verse 20 says, uh, benediction or a-benediction, something like that. Um, and this is from Galatians chapter 6. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. That's how Paul signs off uh, in, in the book of Galatians. Um, and so, that you know, it brings to the question today, uh, as we look at this section, um, again, I'm just going to speed through this, you guys know this. Uh, what is a benediction, Right. Because um, we find benedictions all over the New Testament, what is it? What does it mean? Um, so today, uh, the, 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 what we're going to read is a benediction, um, but we kind of want to look at this from the beginning: is what are we, what are we actually going to look at, and why is it why is it structured like this? Um, so, what is a benediction? Uh, first, this is just from Webster's uh, online dictionary. I cut out number three; it was a specifically Catholic definition, so I just I figured that wasn't going to be useful, and I didn't want to have two slides. So, um, uh, invocation: um, a a short blessing with which the congregation is usually dismissed. Um, it's really more of a name for when the benediction is used and how it is used, rather than what it is. Okay. Um, Two is is probably a little bit accurate. The second definition here, something that promotes goodness or well-being. We use it in that way. Uh, And four um, is at least in the general terms really accurate, an expression of good wishes. You want good for someone else. But in the Bible it means something a little bit more specific. And I found this really interesting that in the Webster's Online Dictionary they had this uh, sort of uh, paragraph after the definition's in benediction, the bene root is joined with another Latin root, dictio, speaking, so that the word's meaning because something like well-wishing or speaking well for others. Perhaps the best known benediction is the, they say so-called, I don't like it when people use so-called in reference to the Bible, that kind of annoys me, um, so-called Aaronic uh, benediction from the Bible. I don't think I would call it the ironic benediction, I think I would call it the high priestly bre- uh, blessing, But um, which begins, may the Lord bless you and keep you. So, I want to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to start looking at some Bible passages. Actually, I'm only going to look at one before we go back to Hebrews, but I'm going to reference a couple, which I would encourage you to read later, uh, and see if you come to the same conclusion I did. But first, let's pray, right? Because when we want to learn something from God's Word, we need to admit, we need to be willing to admit to ourselves that, only, uh, that knowledge and understanding and wisdom only come from God. They do not come from within ourselves. They don't come from our fleshly selves. They don't come from the old nature. They only come from God. And they only come by His Holy Spirit. And they only come if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's always go to God in prayer. If I could tell one thing to Christians, if I had just that one phrase to say, I would say always go to God in prayer about everything. Because you depend on Him for everything. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God thank you Uh, That you speak truth to us. Thank you that you enable us through the gospel of Jesus Christ to not only hear, but to hear with faith. To hear with faith and to respond. And to respond in obedience and in increasing obedience. God, thank you that you, through the gospel to your people, you have ordained uh, for them sanctification. You've ordained that we would be pleasing in your sight, that we would one day stand before you free from accusation. We, we certainly don't look at our lives and even our progress and say, yeah, I can see how that's going to happen. But we can certainly see the effect that you've had. And by faith, we can trust that you're able to do all that you have promised to do through Jesus Christ. Lord, today, teach us. Um, use my words, use the study that I've put into this, um, but really, if, if we don't hear from you, uh, if you aren't watching over what I say, and you aren't giving us all ears to hear, then nobody's going to learn anything today. So God, please, watch over us, watch over my words, watch over how we hear, uh, and help us all to grow in the, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and let it be for all, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, I just really wanted to talk about what benediction is and what it does, what it accomplishes for us, Um, because the information that we see here is not information that as believers we don't know, right? There's no no new revelation in these last few verses. I think the only thing that he mentions new that he hasn't mentioned previously is the resurrection resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He fully talked about uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. but until this, these few verses, he doesn't talk about specifically the resurrection, which I found kind of interesting. But it's not new information, right? Um, I remember one time I was, uh, was with a bunch of, I say Catholics, they're, they're not really Catholics, they're Orthodox, it's in an Arabic setting, but for, for all intents and purposes, Catholics. Um, and uh, I was doing a Bible study with some people, and they saw me there, and a lady was there with a the baby and and Catholic, and she comes over to me, she realizes what I'm doing, she assumes that I'm some sort of priest or something, and she says, bless my, my daughter, bless her. And I'm like, okay, you don't have to call me father, don't use that, but I can pray for your daughter, right? I don't want to go into the long reason of why we don't pronounce blessings over people in that sort of setting. Um, so think i put my hand on her daughter's back you know she's holding her in her arms and i prayed i prayed that god would watch over her and i prayed that god would take care of her keep her from harm keep her from evil and that god would lead her to a knowledge and a saving faith in jesus christ now my desire is that child would one day hear the gospel and know christ my prayer is an expression of that desire But I don't know what God has chosen for that child's life. I have no idea. I think it'd be wonderful if he he put me in that situation that day, knowing what he was going to do one day, and leads me into that whole situation. That'd be great. But my words and my expressions, and your words and your expressions, outside of the working of God, through Jesus Christ, don't really have value, right? We can't, force a blessing on somebody, we can't make those things happen. But that doesn't mean that the benediction has no value. Okay, so I want to explore, what is the value in a benediction? What does the Bible say about it? Now, before we get to number six, I would encourage you, go back to Genesis 27, and Genesis 48, and Genesis 49. In Genesis 27, this will be the the passage where Um, uh, where Isaac is wanting to bless Esau, and he blesses uh, Jacob by mistake. And he includes a line, "'May God do this thing.'" And then in Genesis 48 and 49, we see blessings pronounced by Jacob in the name of God. And he doesn't just say, just, "'May God do this.'" But he really fleshes this out. He says, "'May God, the one who has shepherded shepherded me all my days.'" the angel who was watched over me in all my travelings, right? He's speaking about the God of his father and the God of his grandfather. And so there's a lot more information that he has and a lot fuller blessing that he pronounces. And then we see some of those things reflected in later history of the tribes of Israel, right? Um, It's really, really full. But then here in number six, we have something different. Here in number six, we have God giving the words of a formal blessing to a specific people, and giving that blessing and ordaining that that blessing would be used from that day forward for all of his people by the high priests, by the the Levitical priests, the ones who would offer uh, the sacrifices. And so this becomes extremely significant. Um, He says, oh, okay, I'm going to have to go back there in my Bible because the last uh, verse got cut off. Um, But he says, uh, let me just get there real quick. Um, Fortunately, I remembered where Numbers was. So, um, beginning in verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And then verse 27, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Now there's a lot of information here. I'm not going to repeat all of it, but I do want to highlight a few important things. One, these are words that God gave to his people to bless his people with. This is a God-ordained, God-breathed blessing. God said, this is how I want you to bless the people. And this is who should pronounce the blessing. And he tells who? Aaron and his sons. Now, Aaron and his sons were to be the priests, the Levitical priests who would offer sacrifices. Aaron and his line was specifically to be the high priests through whom uh, the, the, the blessing on the Day of Atonement would be, or the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement would be offered. This was the one who was a type of Christ to come, who was a shadow of the substance that is our true and lasting and eternal high priest, Jesus Christ. And he gives this blessing to Aaron and to his sons for the people of Israel. And he says, this is what I want you to tell them. The Lord bless you and keep you. Now again, what all this entails, we're not going to go into all of this, but at very least it means sustenance and taking care of in a physical way, providing for the people. And he uses the covenant name, the Lord Yahweh. And then secondly, he repeats that covenant name. He says, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. This this making his face shine on you, and at least it, 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 um, it, it insinuates and implies a personal relationship and a personal attention from God to a person, from God to a people, and be gracious to you. That is showing his favor to you. We don't have to add all the unmerited favor part. We know that we, not only do we not deserve anything, we deserve the opposite of good, right? Uh, and the Israelites who truly trusted God, they would have understood the same thing. They would have understood their lack of merit. And then finally, the third part, uh, this three times repetition of the covenant name of God and this blessing, turn his face towards you and give you peace. Again, turn his face towards you as a reminder of action in the life of the person, Right? And when God would turn his face away or not look at someone in prophecy, it usually meant that there's destruction coming and God is not going to stop it because you've deserved this manifestation of his wrath and it's going to happen. There's not going to be any turning away this time. So may he fit, turn his face towards you, Remember, may he remember you, may he act in your life for benefit and here give you peace. Um, and again, I don't need to go into great detail, but Jay has been helping us to see that peace is more than just a cessation of hostility. It's about a total um, wholeness of life. About a right relationship with God, and about everything being right in the world. A pre-fall condition. A a total restoration condition. A condition of the kingdom when everything has been done that we've seen prophesied in in the Bible when everything has been brought to completion, that will be true and lasting peace, wholeness, rightness of everything with God and his people forever. So there's a lot more to peace here than just this this cessation of hostility. But finally, in verse 27, he really shows us the, the fullest picture, and I think that the benedictions in the New Testament give us the same thing. He says, "...they will put my name on the Israelites." You know, by pronouncing this blessing over the people, they're putting their name, they're putting my name, God's name, on the people. And then he says, and I will bless them. See, without that last part, without I will bless them, we're just a bunch of well-wishers, right? If we don't have any reason to believe that God is going to do the things of the blessing that we're pronouncing, then we're just wishing well. we're we're saying hopes for other people out loud, which is certainly nice. It's good to hear that other people want good for you, right? But it's better to know that God charges them to desire this good for you, and that God himself will carry it out, right? I I wanted to, to, to separate these specific things. In the New Testament benedictions are God-given, God-breathed. Why do I say that? Because we have a ton of examples. We have like 30-something benedictions in the New Testament, depending on how you define it. Um, But where God has seen that in Scripture there are benedictions from a writer to a people, and and they were God, uh, in God's own words and expressed God's own desires. And it's for the gospel good of another person. It's not just for random good. You know, it's not like you say, I hope you don't end up in poverty. You know, I hope your marriage lasts. I hope, you know, whatever. All those type of things. They're good. Those things are good, but full and ultimate is gospel good. That means a lot of things, but the full and ultimate gospel good. Now, secondly, they're expressed by someone who feels or is personally responsible to God for that other. You know, um, all of Paul's Letters, whether they're pastoral epistles or whether they're church letters, they all contain benedictions and well wishes, even many ones in the beginning. Um, Paul most often writes, Grace and peace to you. And then a lot of times, I don't remember how percentage wise how often, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a form of benediction, right? He's wishing, he's hoping, he's desiring. The gospel good for the people, specifically here, through grace and through peace with God, to the people through God, and through the God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, they convey a trust that God is able and willing to bring those desires to fulfillment for those who are in a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So they specify who the blessings are for, but also a confidence in God's willingness and ability, and really the certainty with which God will do these things. The kind of certainty that that Paul expresses in Philippians chapter 1. He's like, I'm confident this will happen, right? He knew the people. He knew their testimony. He knew God's grace in their lives. He knew how they had lived it out, and he knew who God was and what God would accomplish. So he can confidently express that God would bring them to completion, Now we get to Hebrews chapter 13. I'm not going to say a lot. We're going to read it. I might make one or two comments quickly, but then I want to get to the kind of the closing uh, and what's the significance of a benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Paul, uh, not Paul, um, actually I really don't think it's Paul, but anyway, the author is expressing his hope, his desire that God will help the people to do all that he has called them to do. All that he has ordained that they should do. All that the author himself has exhorted them to do. Keep in mind, there's a lot of uh, exhortation in the book of Hebrews. There are a lot of calls to perseverance. There are a lot of calls to fight sin. There are a lot of calls to practice love. He recognizes that they're having difficulty. That's why he's written such a wonderful exhortation. That's also why he closes with this benediction, with this blessing in the name of God which will fall on God's people. He has a desire that what? That God would equip them with everything good so that they could do his will, so that he would work in them that which is pleasing in his sight. Very, very similar to Ephesians um, chapter 1, where he says that God is working in you to do, uh, or the same power that's working in you, so that you would do all that God has uh, ordained, uh, called you to do, is the same power that was working in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul's very clear about that in Ephesians chapter 1. And so, so I think what the author of Hebrews is doing the same thing here. He's saying, look, God is working through you. God is going to work through you so that you can do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So that this thing that we've promised about the end of the age, when you stand before God and you're going to be free and undefiled, you're going to be brought to perfection through Jesus Christ, through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God is actually carrying out the work in you. So when he calls them to... Would you advance me one time? Thanks. When he calls them to bear with his word of exhortation, to go ahead and carry it out, he's saying, look, God is providing the strength. God is working in you. Now you can have the ability to do what I've called you to do. I, he says, I've just written to you briefly. I've just given you a little bit of information. There are specific, many, many, many specific ways in which we are called to obedience that the Bible doesn't say, oh, specifically if you find yourself in this situation, this is how you carry it out. But God has given us His Word, which applies to everything we could think of, has application and principle to everything we could think of, And he's given us uh, a great many over the last 2,000 years, pastors and teachers, aside from the great information that he's given us in his word, or in addition to, not aside from. In verse 23, um, you know what, I'm going to skip this because we're going to talk about it here at the end when I wrap up. And then I would also call your attention to verse 25, which again is a mini form of benediction. He is He's saying, grace be with all of you. He starts with peace. May the God of peace do all this for you. And he ends with grace be with you. Again, grace and peace. The same elements of every benediction benediction that we can think of is connected with the grace and peace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the significance of benediction, right? If we can't pronounce a blessing, if I can't stand up here and pronounce a blessing and it somehow works for you guys, then what's the purpose of it? Why do we read it so many times in the Scripture? Well, I would say one, a benediction contains a richness of teaching. And I'm going to show you a few things that I took note of. Um, Eight things that I found in the text, just in verse 20 and, 20, 20 and 21. Eight specific truths. Now, when you unpack these truths, you almost have a systematic theology of all of salvation. You have references to probably most of the New Testament books. You have references to the whole of Scripture and who God is in just a couple of little verses. Jam packed, into something that if you were to if you were to memorize just this one benediction, you could unpack the gospel from the whole New Testament based on that with someone. I'll show you what I mean. Firstly, the God of peace. He says, "Let me go back to uh, Hebrews in my Bible too." Firstly, the God of peace. He says, may the God of peace. Now, when we talk about the God of peace, we're talking about the God who can actually provide peace. Right? When Jesus talked about peace with his disciples, he says, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, but I don't give as the world gives. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't give the kind of peace that the world lives. God is a God of true and lasting peace, of wholeness, of fullness, forever, eternal. God is the God of peace who made peace with his people through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Now that we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to explain that this peace that we have is not just a temporary peace, but he's invited us into this state of grace that we're going to continue on from this point until forever. And he goes on in chapter 5 to tell us that if, if Jesus died for us to reconcile us with God, then how much more do we have access through that adoption, through that relationship we have with God, through the life of Jesus Christ forever? He goes on to say that nothing can separate us from this. So when God gives peace, he's a God of true and lasting and eternal peace. Secondly, we have that he raised Christ from the dead. And again, this, the significance here, whoops, the significance of this here is that, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that's at work within us to sanctify us. Thirdly, Jesus is the great shepherd. And when we think about the great shepherd, what comes to mind when we think about the shepherd, about God as shepherd? Maybe back to Jacob, where he says, the God who has shepherded me all my days. Maybe back to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Maybe Ezekiel, where God talks about the lazy shepherds who were the priests and the leaders of Israel, who's going to kick out, and then he says, I'm going to come and be a shepherd myself. Maybe you're thinking of the good shepherd from John chapter 10. Or Jesus as much as said, hey, remember that guy from Ezekiel? That shepherd where the Lord said, I'm going to come and I'm going to shepherd my people myself? Here I am, I'm the good shepherd. Or do you remember Psalm 23? Here I am, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Remember when Peter calls me the chief shepherd? And he's going to reward all you under shepherds who have been faithfully doing your duty? I'm that great shepherd. Or maybe after Jesus is the great shepherd, we have the eternal covenant ratified by his blood. We can look through the whole entire Old Testament. We can see how God was faithful to his covenant, even though it was a temporary covenant. Even though he knew the people would turn away. Even though he knew it was going to be a shadow. Even though he knew it was going to typify Christ, but it wasn't going to be able to save anybody. He knew the blood and the blood of bulls and goats was not going to save anybody or make them perfect. He always knew what he would do in Christ. But God was faithful to that covenant over and over and over and over again. A couple of weeks ago, we looked back at the psalm. I wish I remembered the number. i have to check my notes. Where, where the, the writer, he just goes over and over all the failures of Israel to listen to God and all of the faithfulness of God to his covenant, even through all of Israel's failures. And he ends with a plea to have mercy on us. This covenant that he's referencing here is an eternal covenant. It lasts forever. was ratified by the perfect blood of Christ, and then that should take you back to earlier in Hebrews when he talks about the superior blood of Jesus Christ. Here, this um, phrase in in NIV, it says, verse 21, May he equip you with everything good. Um, Same thing in the the ESV, same word, equip you. Uh, What I found really interesting, just in in looking up the other definitions of this word or other understandings of this word, equip, what it means is, is fix you make you right. It's the same word that he used when he, whenever uh, Jesus came along and the disciples were mending their nets. That mending is the idea. There was something broken. There was something wrong with him. And he was mending them. They were, they were mending their nets. And that's the same word that he uses here for equip. May he mend you. May he make you whole. Sin breaks you and and defiles you and corrupts you and makes you unfit to do anything good as Paul talks about other people in Titus. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the blood of the eternal covenant, mends us, makes us whole, equips us for everything that God has called us to do. And then it's God working in us. A number of passages in the New Testament help us to understand that it is Christ in you, that it is the power of God in you. It's all the power of Christ working energetically within you, even as it was working within Paul. It's God's energy that's working within you to make these things come to pass. And then, sorry, I was going to skip to the end, and I still had two more points. His end for us, uh, his results, the, the results that he wants to see in us, is that we would be pleasing in his sight. And that the work we do in him for Christ's sake, is pleasing in his sight. Finally, what does it teach? It teaches that only God deserves the glory. But you can see that, right? You can see how, since all of these things he talks about, about the eternal covenant, and about our lack of deserving it, and about how God had to do all the work, not only in bringing it about, but really God has to provide all the power to make our sanctification happen. Yes, there is effort involved on our part, but all the power and all the, all the moving ability of that, uh, of that effort on our part has to come from God. Otherwise, it'll come to nothing. You see what rich teaches, teaching is here in these two verses? But it's not just teaching, right? If we, if we actually believe those things, it works out to be encouragement and motivation in our lives. He says, bear up under the exhortation of, uh, that he has given there's a lot of exhortations in Scripture. I don't know how many times it happens now, but I know how often it happened when I was new in Christ, and I'm sure you guys remember as well, that when you open up Scripture, and Scripture condemns your attitude and your action, it's, 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 it's really, really hard, isn't it? Because you're like... I believe in God, and I know I'm a follower of Jesus, but look at this sin that's in my life. But when we see what God is doing and what he will do, it provides an encouragement for us to keep going. Because the energy to fight this sin that I've just seen rear its ugly head again is going to come from God. And so it's encouragement for me to get up and fight again. It's an encouragement for me to open up the word as soon as I read in the morning, knowing that the word is going to point out some insufficiency in me it's also going to point out some supremacy in Christ. And so we find encouragement and motivation to bear up under the exhortations of Scripture, to bear up under trials and temptations to sin. If we fall down a thousand times, we still have an advocate in Jesus Christ. We can look back at the things we learned, that the covenant is eternal, that He's ratified by His blood, that He's making us perfect, that He's going to present me holy and pleasing in His sight. You see, we can we can rely on the truth as we live out uh, this life following Christ. We can get back up after failure to sin, failure and sin, by God's power uh, displayed in answered prayers. We find encouragement. Now, this doesn't apply specifically to the first two verses, um, but later on he said he talks about Timothy's release. I personally believe, even though he doesn't say, "Hey, we've been praying for Timothy," thank God that he's released. I believe that he's doing this specifically, telling them about Timothy's release, in order to encourage them. No doubt the believers, once they got over the fact that Peter was actually outside the door, um, who were praying for his release, were overjoyed when they saw it happen. Because they recognized that their prayers had power, that they were in a relationship with God, whereby he was answering their prayers, no matter how crazy they were. Oh, Herod's taken Peter, he tends to kill him, just like he did James, let's pray for him. What? God was able to release him, that's, in, that's insane, that's awesome. But encouragement and motivation through the power of answered prayers, that we, or through God's power in answering our prayers. And finally, of the fellowship of believers. I don't, I don't know that, that when you see a closing exhortation to greet the brothers or to greet other believers in any book, in any letter in the New Testament, I don't think it's anything more than to do exactly that. But what it speaks of is a fellowship that we have with each other. Because of the uniqueness of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the relationship that we have with each other as brothers and sisters is closer than any familial relationship you have with a non-believer. And so anytime I read these things at the end, I think, and I hope you guys are thinking as well, am I engaged in fellowship with the body? And Scripture, when we read, should be an encouragement and a motivation to repair those relationships if we haven't maintained them as we should. Thirdly, confession and prayer. And I don't mean just in the sense of being a confessional church, although it does give language to confessions of the church. Um, One of the earliest confessions of the church was Jesus is Lord, if not the earliest. Another side path I won't go down right now. But fascinating, the history of Jesus as Lord. Uh, if you have a chance to, uh, to read about that in, in church history, it's a really fascinating topic. But what I mean here is confession is more of admission. When we, uh, when we encourage each other to live the life that God has called us to live in the Bible, even though there are lots of exhortations, and they're really hard, and we're always confronted with how they bump up against our, 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 our I guess our, our sinful nature. We confess, we admit before God that we are unable on our own. We are not capable of doing by ourselves the things that He has called us to do. That's why a moralistic type of attitude in a church without the gospel never works why people always fail in horrible ways when they try to do things on their own, we were not designed for autonomy. We were not set free from sin to live autonomous lives. We were set free from sin so that we could serve our rightful master, Jesus Christ, serving under his direction, in his authority, and with his power, which is through the Spirit of God. And so by confession, by admitting that we are incapable using these words that he gives us in this benediction, or others, or any scripture, then we are recognizing before God our inability to do it on our own. We're walking away from any pretense at having accomplished anything for ourselves. And we openly admit before God, I am failing in this way. I cannot do it by myself. I need your power. I need you to work in me. I need you to do that which is pleasing in your sight. Even though every instinct of myself is to do that which is not pleasing in your sight. And then prayer, which really goes hand in hand, right? Because if we're confessing before God these things, we're in prayer. I'm going to show you here in a second when we close uh, a combination of these things. But finally it leads to praise and worship. Um, A sort of mini-doxology at the end of verse 21. He says, Um, that he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Sort of a mini-doxology here. All this only happens through Jesus Christ. It only happens through the gospel. It only happens because Jesus fully pleased the Father. It only happens because Jesus offered his life as a sacrifice for sinners like you and me. It only happens because this was ordained of God, that this would be the way that he brings us into relationship with him. Through a confession of faith in Jesus Christ and an admission of guilt before God and an admission of a need of a Savior to clean us up, a whole cleansing. Not we needed a hand up, but we needed to be brought back from the dead. And that results in praise and worship to the only one who deserves it. God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. It reminds us to take any credit that we, think we might be a, uh, that we think we might assume for ourselves, and step away from that and give all the glory to God. But <clears throat> benediction may remind us and teach us a lot of various things, but at least it helps us with these four things. Um, I wanted to close with Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, Paul, interspersed throughout the, the letter to the Ephesians, he prays. He begins and he says, I thank God for you, and he says why in Ephesians chapter 1. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, he starts to lead into prayer. Then he talks about his own uh, gospel experience and special insight. And then he follows it up at the end of the chapter with his prayer, which is right here. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. He goes to God and he asks God, to do all this for the Ephesian believers. 17 uh, through 19, which is the benediction portion, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's a lot of things he expresses here, but that they would continue on in the faith and that they would grow in all the knowledge that allows them to continue in that faith and to actually know God better and better in an experiential way. That's his desire. His good wishes for the people that he's writing to. And then with doxology and showing the basis of all these well wishes that he has now to him who is able to do. Just stop right there for a second. What previously has been a wish and a desire from Paul, only God can do. The same thing with the letter in Hebrews. All of what the writer of Hebrews was calling the people to do was only possible in the power of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen so when you hear a benediction if we pronounce a benediction understand that you know if jay or jason or i or if anybody else is teaching the word and they pronounce a benediction this blessing this divine well wishing this divine godly ordained god breathed well wishing Which is specifically for the people who have trusted by faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, who've repented from their sins and turned to God in faith. That benediction is an announcement of what God will do and is doing in your life. So be encouraged, be motivated. It's not just like a get well card from a brother in Christ. It's a repetition of the same things that God has spoken over those who have come to Him in faith through Jesus Christ. And it will happen. Amen. So be it. It's true. And if you belong to God in Jesus Christ, it's true for you. And you can take heart in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank You. Thank You for all the benedictions of Your Word. Thank you for all the divine well-wishes that you have printed out for us, that you've seen that we have, that teach us so well, that put complex theology in easy-to-remember, easy-to-memorize forms, that the church could encourage each other, that believers could speak over each other in faith, not because we think our words have power, but because we know that for all those who are joined with you in faith through Jesus Christ, These are things that you have promised, and if you've promised, you will bring it to pass. It's not dependent on us who think or desire, but it's dependent on you who is always able to carry out what you've said you will do. God, thank you that our faith does not depend on our desire, but on your word and on your promises and on your power. God, I pray that we will all continue on in the faith That you will strengthen us through your word, by your spirit. That you will help us to encourage each other with the same words that have given us hope and faith. And God, I trust and we have confidence that all those who belong to you can't be snatched out out of your hand. That we'll be held fast until the end. We will persevere because you will preserve us. We'll be able to live holy lives because you will enable us. And we'll stand before your throne one day free from accusation because you washed us clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll stand with us as we sing.